And this is Kenny Kisiegi, retired NYPD sergeant, and you listen to Race, Violence, and Medicine. Welcome to Race, Violence, and Medicine. I'm Dr. Brian Williams. I'm your host. I'm an associate professor of trauma and acute care surgery at the University of Chicago. I'm a keynote speaker, and I am also a writer. And you can find out all about that at my website, brianwilliamsmd.com. And that is brian with an I, williamsmd.com. Now, I'm, again, always grateful that you return for another episode of Race, Violence, and Medicine. And we are continuing our series with law enforcement officers. This is our third episode. In episode one, you heard from Senior Corporal Terrence Hopkins, a nearly 30-year veteran of the Dallas Police Department and president of the Black Police Association. In the second episode, you heard from retired NYPD Lieutenant Darren Porcher, who's a criminal justice expert and professor at Pace University and frequent contributor to CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News. And today, for our third episode, we have 20-year NYPD veteran, Sergeant Kenny Kisiedu. Kenny, did I get that correct this time? Yes, yes, that's good. Kisiedu, yes. All right. Thank you for joining us here on Race, Violence, and Medicine. You're welcome for having Thank you for having me. All right. I also mentioned that Kenny was my personal trainer when I was in Dallas, so I, I, you cannot leave that off of your resume that you will keep oh, yeah, me in yeah. shape when I was down. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, Kenny. So we're you know we're continuing this series talking to um, African American law enforcement officers, uh, just getting their perspective on their job, the professional and social uh, reality is what it means to 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 do that job. But first, well, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself? Okay, uh, my name is Kenny Kisiedu. Um I did 20 years at NYPD. Uh, I started in 1994, retired in 2014. At the time when I started, uh, the police departments were divided into different bureaus, and they had housing bureau, transit bureau, and, of course, NYPD. And I was I joined the department, and I was a, originally a transit cop, and then we had the merge, I believe, in 1995, where all of the bureaus became one um, under one umbrella, which was NYPD. So my first uh, first year, year and a half, I was actually a transit cop in uh, District 12. So that that covered like the two and the five lines in the Bronx. Um, from there, I went to District 11, which covered the four and the D line, which is more like Jerome Avenue, uh, confines of the four 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 six precinct. Uh, and from there, I went to District 3, which was 145th Street, which covered Harlem, Washington Heights, Upper Manhattan. And in 2007, I got promoted to sergeant where I went to the 41st Precinct in the Bronx. So when you say transit cop, does that mean you were, that you spent all your time on the subway and the buses or walking the streets? Yes. What, what does that, what does that yes. mean? Uh, Transit is similar to DART. Remember DART in Dallas? They were similar. Right. Our primary responsibility was the subway, the ridership, 
and we dealt with that. But a lot of people that didn't know that we did have, we still had arrest powers. So a lot of times people would do stuff on the train or in the stations and run out to the street and think, you know, it's like, oh, you can't do anything because I'm not on in the subway system. And that was false because we're still police officers. So how, how did you get into law enforcement? Well, actually, one of my good friends, Aubrey, <laughs> Aubrey Donadell, we all used to work in the mailroom, and um, his father had encouraged him to take the test. And, of course, Aubrey's kind of like the big brother for my other friend, Courtney, and I, and he, he's, hey, you guys, let's take the test. And uh, Courtney and I, of course, naive, said, no, we're all right, we're good. Aubrey ended up taking the test, um, became an officer, I believe, in 91. And somehow along the way, after a few years after he took the test, I took the test, same thing, encouraged Courtney to take the test. A few years later, Courtney took the test. So we all started off in the mailroom, and we all ended up retiring from NYPD. And I always tell Aubrey, I say, thanks to Aubrey, I'm in, I'm in a good situation. <laughs> right. So you say mailroom, like United States Postal, Postal Service mailroom? Yeah, or right. in uh, NYPD? Yeah, no, no, no. We worked, we worked, there was a private sector, Silverstein Properties, real estate firm. And we worked in the mailroom delivering, uh, mail from the different offices, doing bank deposits. Just basically kids out of, out of, out of high school and college taking classes and, and working, trying to figure it out. Right. So you grew, are you a New York native? You grew up in New York? Yes. I grew up in the Bronx, New York. All my life. Born right. And raised in the Bronx, New York. Yes. So Bronx, New York, working in the mailroom, takes the test to become uh, to join NYPD. Then you spent 20 years, and you see you got in in '94. So that is yeah. around the like the tail end of the crack uh, epidemic. I'm not even sure if I even like that yeah. that phrase, but um, yeah. But stop and frisk was still kind of a big deal during that time, right? Um. I wouldn't say so, not not in 94, maybe towards a little bit, a few years after that. The the whole thing with the stop and frisk at the time, it was just accountability for officers stopping people for whatever the reason is, right, stopping them and then just keeping records. So when the citizen went to make a complaint that I was harassed or stopped wrong, wrongfully by the police officers, there was no record. So that was the initial reason for it we called it a 250 and you were prepared 250 for you know why you stopped the person and you hand it in so there was always a record when if and when a person came back to report that they felt they was mistreated by the police right so stop and frisk is a media term what was what was the uh your the official law enforcement term for stop and frisk stop question and frisk so whether you stop other questions or frisk a person correct all right. So you grew up in the Bronx. You're in NYPD, and I think there's no secret about the racial acrimony that existed and still exists in many ways between communities of color and and law enforcement. How did that inform your experience in law enforcement? Um, overall. For me personally, I believe there wasn't that big of an impact. I think growing up in the Bronx, in the growing up in the Bronx, 
playing sports while I was growing up and having friends. We played baseball, basketball, football. So it was a bunch of us that grew up. And as you know, as you continue, as you grow up, people do go in different directions. So unfortunately, we, I've had friends that didn't go in law enforcement and took other routes of life. And I've always had that ability just to relate to everybody. So personally, you may, you may start off initially when you arrive on the scene and people, of course, they're going to look at you like you're a sellout, Uncle Tom, all of the, all of the derogatory things that could be said were said. And you just have to have tough skin. You just roll it off because at the end of the day, you have a job to do. And that's how I always try to conduct myself as far as I'm here for a reason. You know why I'm here. So let me do my job. The sooner I can do my job, the sooner I can leave. And that's kind of was my mentality for my career. And it kind of always worked for me just being able to relate to people. You try not to judge when you're dealing with them and just deal with each situation face on for, for what it is. So you're describing this as if this this is your job and you have to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, when I talk to some police officers, they, they talk about their role in bridging uh, uh, the, the gap of trust within the communities. Did you see yourself as having any role in that, or was that uh, secondary to your what you saw your job to do on a daily basis? Well, I believe, yes, you, just, you do have to gain the trust of the public. And when you're out on patrol, just your normal daily back and forth on patrol, your rapport with the public, and they, they see you just as much as we see them, and they see how you conduct yourself and the type of person you are. And we have a thing called discretion. And if you use your discretion wisely, for, for me, like I said, it's always come back to work the majority of times in my favor. Because they, if they, if they believe that you're fair and just, when situations occur, you, you'll kind of even, I remember there are times where you have a, a group of people and stuff would get out of hand and you would actually have somebody in the group go, oh, nah, chill, calm down, or officer, let me talk to them. And it, it kind of, like I said, for me, that was my personal experience. I was, I didn't have too many major problems with people because people kind of knew knew me and saw me as I was patrolling and knew that I was fair. So were you patrolling with, you said you patrolled in the Bronx, so are you dealing with people that you grew up with? When I first started, when I was working transit in District 12, that did cover the area where I grew up. So I would occasionally see people I went to school with or grew up with on the train. So I, I do believe that kind of helped because the public, if they see your friendly with person X on the train and they see you a couple of times talking and that, just talking to them and just regular conversation, treating them like regular people, they kind of see you as, okay, he's relatable. Maybe they may not know, I personally know the person, but just the interactions, like I said, on the train and the subway, there's millions of people. They see everything. People are always watching. So like I said, people, they do watch and see how you interact with, with people in good and bad situations. Okay, so that's your your external uh, experience. Talk about your experience within the, the police department and with your your colleagues. Um, well, NYPD well, has very, I think, a very famous history with its racist history, how it with uh, cops as well as citizens. And I'm not a historian, just based on what I pick up. 
Um, so yeah. tell me uh, my perception valid, and if so, how did that play out in your professional interaction with your colleagues? Well, at the time that I came on in 94, um, I'm, I'm a product of, of my environment, so I grew up in the Bronx, definitely a hip-hop hip hop culture. Um, the guys that I came in with, we was for 24, so that's kind of when things were kind of up and running, and we did catch a little bit of slack just from the way we dressed, and because basically, as they, they call, them, call them perps or whatever, they said we dressed like perps. So back then, the baggy jeans, the fitted hats, or whatever, whatever the style was, we that's what we wore to work. And of course, you get the jokes, and they kind of sum you up as, "What are you doing here? How did you get the job?" And we dealt with that early on. But once again, but if I even within the department with your colleagues and peers, as they see how you operate and you work, that kind of slowed down as as you had more time on the job. So what you're describing is a classic racial microaggression. They're not using uh, racial slurs, but they're using terms that have derisive meaning. That, yes. Because the thing that people don't understand, obviously NYPD is predominantly Irish, right? Um, not too many minorities was on the job at the time. The most minorities went to the housing bureau at transit. Right, so by the time we came on in ninety four, ninety five ish, and then the merge mid to the end of ninety five, the three agencies became a little more intertwined, and now people that was already comfortable with people, the transit people stayed together, housing people stayed together. Now we're all intertwined. So now, if you're a transit cop and you get promoted, you may you're not staying in transit. They're putting you in housing or putting you in, in the street, which we call PD the street. And that's how the job started intertwining with different people. So now you have people from the precinct that perceive things one way, coming into transit and vice versa and moving around. So then you had another kind of phase of that, people getting used to different environments. Because housing was predominantly the housing developments. Transit was predominantly the subway. And then PD is predominantly the street. So unless, depending on the type of job, you may not even deal with one another throughout your whole tour. So what would you what would you say to uh, civilians like my myself? I, I think I have a little bit of insight just based on the things I've done uh, professionally interacting with the police department. Um, yeah, but those that probably you know never cross the paths of police for whatever reason, they get their information from social media and the news, and develop their perception based on that, and and you know, movies and television. What would you, like, what would you say to them that may have a negative perception about police? The the main thing now that meets that I see. It's social media. Um, a lot of a lot of times, interactions happen, whether they're good or bad. But people pull out their phones and start filming when they sense something's about to happen. Very few times do a, the 
do you see the first beginning of the interaction, whether the cops coming up and saying, hey, sir, excuse me, and the guys, get off me, don't talk to me, and it just it just goes downhill from there. They always show when it's time for the officer to maybe forcibly remove you or to detain you, handcuff you, and then the res- resistance of the other person goes on, and now you have that interaction on that scuffle, and that's where everybody films. And you only get that middle towards the end of the story. And to me, that's the bad thing with social media. I just wish as soon as stuff happens, you could get the beginning to the end. And I think a lot of times from the beginning to the end, you may have a different perception once everything is over. That's interesting you say that, because I hear that that's, that's that same sort of description from officers, irrespective of their racial or ethnic background, but we cannot ignore that those videos that really touch off um, uh, vitriolic discussion are ones that involve black victims or or black suspects and white police officers. Um, That's the unfortunate part. It's it's the unfortunate part with this whole policing and dealing with the public, and part of that is you have – different ethnic groups of officers that have grown up, maybe not in the Bronx, maybe not in Harlem, maybe not in Brooklyn, like they said, living Long Island, living upstate. And now you're coming into these different environments. And like you said, with television, the news, what you see eventually becomes your reality. And then you start thinking, oh, well, all of these groups of people are the same way. So now when you go into a situation dealing with them, you may be a little more over-aggressive, maybe a little more on the offensive when you're dealing with them. And I always I always say it's almost like a dog, not, you know, comparing the two, but like a dog, if a dog's backed up in a corner or an animal's backed up in a corner, they're going to be aggressive, right? They think they're in fear and they're going to protect themselves. And unfortunately, I believe a lot of these unfortunate situations have ended up just because out of fear, out of fear, out of lack of experience, you know, we all have bad days. Officers, civilians, bankers, doctors, lawyers, we work at McDonald's. So what, at the end of the day, we're all people. And sometimes perhaps it's just channeled in the wrong way. I, I, I don't know, Kenny. I'm still, I'm still trying to gra- grapple with a lot of the things that I, I, I've seen. Uh, and, uh, just knowing, knowing the history, uh, I think there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think it begins oh, with acknowledging that, that history to move forward. Well, like you said, you have to acknowledge it. A lot of people don't want to acknowledge it. So it's, it's more, it, it's, it's a culture as well. So if you come into an if you come into a culture that treats people a certain way, you pick up traits and you have to be strong minded enough to to realize what's right and what's wrong in the direction that you want to go in for yourself. And I'm not saying all officers are bad. We we all know that. It's just the few that get into these situations that paint that picture. Because I've, I've been, like I said, I've done 20 years. I've been around very good officers, and I've been around very bad officers. But it's far more good than bad. You know, with, 
we have to do we have to do something to uh I don't know work on that public trust uh in a, in a lot of a lot of areas and oh yes yes now as as far as the public trust but you got to remember people have to really want to do it as opposed to saying it and and all the precincts they have I think they have national night like they do have things that's supposed to bring the community and police together and the community police and stuff. But I believe it's, it's up to the individuals that are doing it to make it work. Definitely. Do you agree? On, 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 yeah. bo- on both sides, on, on all right. sides. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's, it's, more than, it's more than just on paper saying, okay, today is the day that we do National Night Out, so this is what we're going to do. But what do you do? A week after, two months after, are, are you still putting that same enthusiasm in dealing with the public and showing, and showing and having them earn your trust and believe exactly. that you're going to do it and you're there for the benefit of them? Because that's what we yeah. are. We're here to serve and protect. As as a lot of people forget that, but that's what the premise of policing is: to serve and protect. We exactly. work for them. Episodic events are, are don't lead to sustained change. It takes takes more than that. So. All right, Sergeant Kenny Kisiedu, twenty year veteran of the NYPD, my former personal trainer. Thank All you right. for being on race, violence, and medicine, and uh, for keeping me in shape back in the day. And I, I, I know you work out working all the time. Uh, yeah, when you're working out on your own. You're taking care of yourself, Kenny, and you're working out on your own. You put the headphones on and you're getting pumped up. What what music are you pumping into your eardrums? Who are you listening to? Oh, I'm I, like I said, I'm a product of, of the '90s, so I'm I'm an old school hip hop guy. Um, right now, I'm listening to Jadakiss. He got his <laughs> new album. Yeah, that's 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 what I've been playing since Friday. So that's that's what's getting me going. I didn't even know that there was a new album. <laughs> yeah, he dropped. Um, I, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Ignatius. So he dropped that on Friday, and All um, right. yeah, so that's kind of like the hot thing out right now. Everybody's, everybody's just listening and waiting for some more videos. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kenny Kishiyadu, Jada Kiss fan, twenty year veteran of the NYPD. Thanks for being on the show, and I also want to thank you for tuning in again to Race, Violence, and Medicine. Certainly some of your critique, comments, suggestions. I want to make this show better every time just for you. Also share with your family and friends. Uh, go to my website, brianwilliamsmd.com. You can drop me a note. Uh, all my social media tags are there as well. If you want to catch up with me on Twitter or LinkedIn. And I also sign up for the newsletter, and I'll keep you up to date on the latest. Last thing, uh, I said I'm a writer. I just recently had a, a, a commentary published in the Chicago Tribune for MLK Day talking about health care equity and how we still need to work towards social justice and medicine. So check that out. Some of your thoughts. Again, thanks for tuning in. Dr. Brian Williams, Race, Violence, and Medicine. We'll be back next week.